Hello, my name is Corey Bielek. I'm CEO for Kanalaski Uranium. We're a project generator and active explorer in the Athabasca Basin of Canada. And uh, we also have some great nickel assets in the neighboring province of Manitoba. So, um, yeah, here we are, Matthew. Here we are. Do you know, we are at the World Nuclear Association Conference, which is here in London. Um, the great and the good are here, and you've been attending that. So what's the, what's the vibe downstairs? Oh, the vibe is really up. Like, this year is fantastic. We've seen a real change in the market. We've seen a change in a number of nuclear you know, pieces that fit into that, and it's just been a fantastic week at the WNA. Right. So literally, people are flying from all around the world to this. They're super excited because there's this political narrative going around, you know, uh, energy security, you know, um, energy costs. Uh, nuclear seems to be the savior uh, of the moment. Are there any things that, well, actually, what surprised you in terms of the conversations which come out of the conference this week? Well, aside from being really upbeat and positive, Matthew, it's been just fantastic to hear about the marketing side, the conversion side, and some of the bottlenecks that are happening with the, with the entire industry right now as we move towards that energy savior, if you want to call it that. So it's been just a fantastic few days listening to that narrative and how really positive and upbeat it looks for the market. Okay, so tell me this. So to build a regular reactor takes a long time. You need all sorts of permissions from government level, local level. You need to then design it, build it, and we're 10, 15 years out. So is nuclear really going to be the savior in all of this? It absolutely is, Matthew. You know why? Because SMRs, I believe, are one of those pieces, and they're being built much quicker than those large reactors historically. Right. And even I would dare say the large reactors are gonna pick up pace in terms of their ability to deliver into the market much quicker than they have historically. Right. And that's really some step change there, and that's, that's fantastic. So some of the SMR, small modular reactors. So these are basically smaller nuclear reactors, presumably cheaper, quicker to build. We, we've got obviously Rolls-Royce over here in the UK. There's a Westinghouse, you know, uh, rising from the ashes, as, as it were, as well. Um, are they a big part of the conversation downstairs? They absolutely are. In fact, yesterday we heard a lot from Rolls-Royce and Westinghouse and, and just what that means, what they're doing. And, and, you know, these are modular units, basically plug and play. And I think that's the key because that is going to allow it to be built off-site. Mm -hmm. You basically deliver it into that infrastructure. Now, it can be new infrastructure, yeah. or what I'm hearing is it can actually be retrofitting some of the coal or gas-fired power plants out there. Almost sort of a seamless transition, plugging into that existing grid, making it possible to do this on a much quicker scale than... That's interesting. So literally, they'll take a cookie-cutter approach, right? One, one design fits all, but going and replacing coal power fire stations by sort of, I guess, taking out the dirty bit and putting in the new, uh, well, over here, the green taxonomy includes nuclear now, putting in nuclear, but then utilizing all the pipes, infrastructure, everything that, that that's like, okay, smart. Um, but it's still going to take time, isn't it? I mean, how much time would we be shaving off the process? Well, you know, it, it's going to take time. But, you know, for instance, in Canada, they're putting in SM, small modular reactors now, and it's going to take about six years from decision through to first power. Right. And that's happening at the Darlington plant, as an example. But what I'm hearing this week is that's actually hap happening globally. Mm. You know, whether it's Europe, whether it's UK, or whether it's in the U.S., this is coming, and it's coming quickly. And it's interesting to hear that it's actually not just in you know, certain few places or as demonstrations, it's yeah. actually happening. And that's really been eye-opening for me. So it needs to be all joined up thinking though, doesn't it? And I, I think Sama, who heads up the WNA, she's got her three Cs. Tell us about her, the three Cs. Her three Cs, yeah. So how do we get here by 2050? You can't just wait till 2049. You have to start today. 
start getting it in place so that by 2050, you've got all that capacity of clean energy, which is going to truly make that difference for, for global warming and the impacts on, on the planet. So she's got this concept, or at least mentioned the concept of the three C's, right? right? So it's, it's uh, be creative, right? collaborate, and importantly, commit. Right. And and the collaboration, I think, and commitment piece is really important because, you know, whether it's Rolls-Royce, Westinghouse, um, Hitachi, any of them, mm. you've got to collaborate to get those units coming to market, you know, in different designs. Get it so that it is truly plug and play. So they're not all really unique, but you can actually do this on a, on a larger scale quickly. And then you've got to commit to it, whether it's companies, governments, regulators, or the public. Commit to that, and we can get there. We really can get there. So those three C's are really important. So I think the will's there, and the, the public is supporting it because if they don't, their energy costs are a disproportionately large uh, percentage of their income. It's painful at the moment. We've got price caps being introduced here by the new Prime Minister Liz Truss, uh, and you know, we've, I think we've talked in the past about price caps elsewhere in the world. Um, this needs political will. I think that's there. But governments move slowly, typically. So three Cs, industry talking about what it's going to take is one thing. Have we seen any political input into this week's conference or conversation which leads us to believe that, well, I don't know that we're in the UK at the moment, but governments from around the world are going to be supportive of this? Absolutely. In fact, yesterday, the Department of Energy of the U.S., was on one of the panels, a representative. I think oh, it was wow. Catherine Huff, wow. if I'm correct. And uh, she commented that the Biden administration is just committed to helping assist this along, whether it's at the conversion piece, whether it's about domestic supply or small modular reactors, or importantly, keeping the existing fleet running longer than perhaps planned. Right. And that's supporting all of that infrastructure that's going to allow this to actually happen. So that's been a real big step. And I think that was just announced this week. Right. So that's a really big deal. And that's right. just one of the leading indicators politically out of one, well, it is the largest nuclear fleet on the planet sitting in the US. It, it, it is indeed. So, so there's a few things here, okay? There's a few things in the background we, in terms of, right, that's all positive. It's yeah, upbeat, absolutely. the vibe is good. Uh, in the background, we've also got extending the life of existing reactors. That needs to be done with mm -hmm. some care and attention, mm -hmm. right? some engineers told me. Yeah. Um, and then we've also got the, the in the backdrop of all this, we've got Russia, Ukraine still going on, and there's a certain reactor there, which people are a little bit nervous about at the moment. What we don't need is another Fukushima. So is there any conversation around that downstairs? There has been. It's sort of uh, it's sort of been off the table for the most part. But the few conversations I've heard is that, you know, I think the industry now can survive something that might happen because it is truly war related. Right. It's not going to be a natural disaster. It's not going to be a technological failure. It's going to be some sort of, you know, military activity that mm. might cause that. So is it truly the industry that, that has failed? No, this, this is a different issue. It's a geopolitical issue. So I, I think while it would be terrible, yeah. I, think, I think the understanding is it's, it's really survivable if you want to think of it that way. And I hope it doesn't happen. I mean, that's- no, 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 I, I, Absolutely, of course. But uh, for the industry, okay, you're saying the industry thinks it could survive that. that, that that's interesting. Um, and we haven't done that. Absolutely. Let's talk about at the equity side of things. That's where we're, we're, all, we're all here. We're investors. We're looking at companies like yours and going, right, um, how do these guys insert themselves into this big narrative that's going on, right? Um, and I, you know, I've got to ask myself, um, it's, it's difficult out there at the moment. 
People are a little bit nervous, sort of generally. So, you know, risk off, you know, cash, cashed up, and so sort of wait, waiting for the moment to go. Uh, and uranium's been a long time in the making in terms of an equities investment. So, you've been speaking to a few CEOs. How are they feeling about all this? How, how do they play it? How are you going to play this? Yeah, they're extremely positive. Matthew, I mean, they are because they see what is happening with, you know, the conversion bottleneck that everyone talks about. Once that logjam releases, you still have to backfill that with uranium and primary production. So in our space at the front end, we're really a spear tip, you know, because none of this happens without discovery of new uranium deposits, without putting those discoveries into production, without backfeeding that demand. And if we're talking four times by 2050, four times the nuclear fleet, combining large reactors with SMRs. That's the number that's been thrown around this week as potentially needed by 2050. That's a lot more uranium. That's potentially like four times the uranium wow. required. Wow. So that is a huge piece to this puzzle. You've got to find it, put it into production and get it to conversion and the utilities. And that's not going to happen overnight. You don't start in 2049. We got it. Exactly. Um, Four times. So that's a, that's a big number. I realised the kind of supply demand fundamentals had sort of expanded to that to that sort of level. So let's talk about the size of the market now. It's a small market. Yeah, uranium uh, investors like to think it's the be all and end all, but the reality is it's a tiny, tiny, tiny market uh, in you know commodities, let alone elsewhere in the world. Um, you there's a certain number of uh, companies, public companies at the moment, and, and private companies at the moment. Um, there's a lot of new guys coming through. We're seeing lots of new uranium companies coming through. So the guys who are there today, the guys who are at the table today, you kind of got to, is it a case of you need to be defensible or the fact that we all need all of the above so it doesn't really matter if, if there are lots of new entrants coming into the marketplace? Because last time around, last cycle, went from 50 companies to 500 companies. Mm-hmm. Most, most didn't make it, uh, most lost investors a lot of money. So how would I as an investor look into the space and go, do you know what, these sorts of companies make sense and these sorts of companies perhaps not so much? How do you yeah, look at it? Well, that's a good question. So I was part of that last cycle and I looked at most of those 500 companies. We, 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 where were you? At the I, I was with Cameco. You're at Cameco, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So part of, part of my job at the time was to review these companies and watch what they're doing globally. So were, you, were you smiling and, and laughing or were you well, just going, wow, this is a bit worrying? Where, there how do you look some, at it? No, I, you know, uh, at, the, at the time, mm. at the time you could sort of get the grain out of the chaff. Right. You know, if you just looked at them, listened to the story, went and looked at the project, yeah. you can kind of sort out who's probably going to make it, who's probably not going to make it. And uh, g- g- Help me with that one, because that's the, that's the, that's the yeah, key, yeah, right? A, so yeah. w- w- when you're looking at these companies, yeah. when you're at Cameco, right? We were doing this with Cameco yeah. goggles on, right? Yeah, yeah. You're saying when you're looking at a company, you go, well, this, that looks interesting, potential, this not so much. So how do you, how do you work that out? Because the same thing's going to be happening right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of that is, is, is the style of deposit. Right. Style of mineralization. It's the it's the location of that mineralization. Okay. It's also geopolitical. Um, you know, there's lots of places you can do a lot of work, but are you ever going to mine the uranium? Not sure. Uh, there's places where you're going to do all the right work, make a discovery, and it's going to take you 15 years to get there, like the Athabasca. But you're talking about a grade difference, mm. you know, step change in that in that mm. value per ton of rock. So mm. it will more than likely get there. So there's a lot of discoveries being made. The question is, do they ever become economic? And how do you weed that out? That is challenging. Mm. But when you actually get on the ground with some experience and look at these things, you can start to differentiate where they may play out in a uh, in a market that settles at some point. 
Right. Um, and that's the key. Where does the market settle? You know, the last cycle was about three years. Yeah. I think we're moving into a super cycle or a mega cycle like I'm hearing this week. And I think that's true because it's setting up with different fundamentals as a foundation that we've been talking about just yeah. in the last few minutes here. So I think this is very different from the last cycle. You're going to see a need and that's going to elevate that price uranium. It's going to make some of these sort of marginal deposits historically perhaps come into the market and mm -hmm. that's fine. Mm -hmm. But then you're also going to have the new discoveries that are very high grade that actually have uh, some size and potential to them around infrastructure like you might find in eastern Athabasca, and that those will come to market in about 15 years, right. 20 years, if you discover them today. And that's okay, because you're going to have some filling the gap for the next 10 or 15, and then these big ones are going to displace those mm. down the track. Okay. And that's the key. So, so you're saying it's, it's fine. Um, it, each project has to be evaluated on, on its own merits, but as far as you're concerned, Athabasca, being, you know, so when I first started interviewing Athabasca companies about permitting and licensing and so on. It was like, oh, two years, three years, not a problem. The, but now there's a bit more honesty to the conversations, it seems. So look, it will take longer, but that's fine because there's just not enough of this stuff. Question is, you can place yourself early into the Athabasca projects, but know that you'd be sitting on it for a while, and that's fine as a portfolio approach to investing. And there'll be other projects which get into production a little bit sooner. But don't worry, they're not going to swamp the market. Yeah. Is that, that's kind of the way you look, should and, look at it, is it? Absolutely. And I, you know, in the last few weeks, I, I've caught a little flack for some comments <clears> I made <throat> because I was asked where I would put my money. <clears throat> you know, and it is in the Athabasca. <clears throat> that's, that's really what I know. It's in our backyard, and, and we're exploring making discoveries that make yeah. sense there, and, that, and that's good. But you know, that's not to say other jurisdictions around the planet won't come into production to fill the next 15 years. Yep. That's going to happen, yep. and that's okay. Yeah, but you know what we're looking for in the Athabasca is something that is tier one. That is something that literally replaces MacArthur and Cigar, which are you know both going to be offline within the next fifteen years, and that's just reality. They're running out of reserve, so you've got to backfill that infrastructure, and that's the opportunity if you can make that discovery, is to fill that. So that will come in fifteen twenty years. That's fine, but you're going to need to know today, and that's okay because there's a lot of value there that's pent up in these large high grade deposits. Okay, so you, you came into Canalaska. You've got, you've got your Cameco background, so yeah. with your, you know, you've got the Cameco optics that you're able to do. You come into Canalaska and go, I know what this is, and I know what it's not, but this to me has got potential to be a tier one company, or I wouldn't be here. That's the decision you've got to make. Because it's your brand, you know, you damage your brand if you, if, if you don't, if you play another game, right? Mm -hmm. So what are, you, what are you seeing at Canalaska now? What, do you, what are the steps that you guys need to go through to actually get to where you think you can get to? Yeah, well, we're looking for that tier one, that high-grade MacArthur cigar-like type analog. And right. we've been consistent in that narrative for, for a long time now. Right. And now we're starting to see those results come from our portfolio because we're exploring looking for those. Right. You know, we're drilling nine meters at 2.5%. Uh, right near MacArthur River with our partner Cameco at our West MacArthur project. And that just has all the right fingerprints of one of these big basement type mineralized zones in mm -hmm. the Athabasca. We haven't even tested the unconformity yet. We might be in the roots of a MacArthur River. We don't know. Right. But um, so, so what are we trying to do at Canalaska? We're trying to find that tier one asset that is going to help um, feed the Key Lake Mill in 15 to 20 years time. Right. And the value creation is at the front end. So when you discover one of these big deposits in the Athabasca Basin, it's literally the first, say, three to five years is where you see that value accretion. Yeah. Then you move into the permitting licensing process. We don't, wanna, we don't want to produce uranium. 
We want to build value for our shareholders through that discovery and then get it into the appropriate hands through an auction process to take it to market. Got it. That's okay. exactly our game. Because you guys, well, way before your time, but it was always a cash constraint coming. I met, met the guys four years ago. It was just cash constraints. It was tiny. No one cared what was going on. And then you yeah. can't do the work that you want to do. Exactly. So it's all hypothesis, theory, conjecture, right? Um, with the market sort of just gradually sort of stepping up, where are we? Are we, are we what's the price of what's the spot price today? It's working around 51. Right. So US, sort, of, sort, of, sort of getting there, you know, from the, from the lows of you know, well, mid-20s up to 30s for a long time. It's, you're getting noticed, you're able to raise capital not, and, and it's sort of driving the kind of share price and market cap and, and, and so forth. Is that your, that's what you're going to have to do for the next two, three years, isn't it? Rely on the markets to do that kind of, that bit of the heavy lifting for you. So I guess this week's narrative, that's why you're here this week, you want to hear it firsthand. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what, actually, here's a thing to ask you. So are, the utilities are here too, aren't they? Uh, there's a few, yeah. There's a few. Yeah. Are they European or have you got some US guys? Uh, the, ones, the ones I've seen around are, are US-based. Yeah, okay. correct. Yeah, which are obviously one of the big players. Right. Yeah. They, they, they play their cards close to their chest and don't they do. give much away. Yeah. But is anyone standing on stage or are they just sitting back and observing? When? Uh, um, are they standing on stage? Um, no, I'm not seeing a lot of standing on stage. But they're definitely in the wings, you know. So in the in the in the darks of the night, at a yeah. bar with a drink in your hand, are they <laughs> yeah. giving anything away? No, oh, no, no. Poker but, players. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. But you know, you have to understand that utilities have a need to pr procure that uranium, yeah. and with the conversion bottleneck <clears throat> that's happening, that stress is starting to build, and that pressure is starting to build because if you don't increase the conversion capacity. You gotta remember about 40% sits in Russia. Mm. So you've got a problem if you wanna try and be prepared for mm. what's coming in terms of new builds or mm. extensions of, or whatever it might be, you're gonna to have to procure that converted material and it's a real tight market for that. Okay. So it, the, the pressure's coming. Pressure's coming with the conversion and they're the, the using up um, inventory. And if I, if I look back over the last, three years ago and there's so many catalyst moments but I think the most important ones for us are COVID mm -hmm. absolutely you know it just ruined supply into the marketplace you then Sput come along on top of that and start sweeping up this mobile inventory uh, at, at a more significant rate and obviously we've got Yellow Cake over here and we've got the the Kazakh one as well and that's that's good news um, we've then got this whole Russia-Ukraine situation, which has just created this hugely dense problem of cost of energy for the, not just homes, but also industry. We've got industry across Europe closing down. They just can't afford to keep going. That is going to have a serious knock-on effect for economies around the world. So the cost of energy is, is a biggie. Um, obviously, people look to in Japan, you know, confirming that they're going to bring reactors online, and that's great. But that alone, compared to how many new reactors, how many SMRs, what you're talking about, and four times is, it's an, on the demand side, insane situation. It is, and that's been really eye-opening for me. When I heard four times, I'm like, is that real? And it was stated, and yeah. stated openly. So that, I have to believe, yeah. is what is coming. And if you just think about the new builds coming from large reactors, but yeah. now you layer in the small modular reactors, I don't think that's factored into the market yet. I don't think it is. And some of those take different fuel. Mm. So you have to then create that conversion capacity to get yeah. that different fuel into these small modular reactors. Yeah. You've got a lot of infrastructure to build out in a very short time to actually 
go where you want to go. And when that bottleneck releases, then you got to start thinking about the front end. Where does that supply come from? Where does the raw material come from? And yes, at high prices, you'll get it from around the planet in yeah. various jurisdictions. That doesn't change our game at Ken Alaska. Well, that's, that's one. Well, let me it come, I want to come back to that. that I want to come back to that because sorry, I've got to segue myself off and say the world of uh, utility buyers. Here are important. Um, be, because you are saying, look, we've got a 15-year game plan here. We know where we sit. We're, we are talking about building something tier one, which can feed whichever mill in 15 years' time because we know we know who the players are and we know how this game works. That means that all recent events don't really change your game plan per se. However, you will be the beneficiary if prices drive up and equities follow suit because you will be able to raise cheaper money. So that, that that's the game. That's your model. That does not change. Okay. That does not change at all because we are clearly focused on a tier one discovery in a tier one jurisdiction that if you find it, 10, 15, 20 years out, it displaces literally everything on the planet because it will be a cigar MacArthur if we're successful. And that is slotting in in the lowest quartile. So that doesn't change our game. Okay. You know, there will be others come online, absolutely, and that's good. That's great for investors, it's great for the market. That's All fine. of the above. All but when you above. find something yeah. that's that good, yeah. then it just sort of slots in automatically. You know what you said in terms of margin, right? I think that's the key. Marginal projects will become economic. Mm -hmm. To some degree, tier one projects will always be economic. I, I, I get that and I buy that. Okay, what's the one thing that you're going home with, say, that was the first thing you're going to say to your team when you get home? I'm going to say the small modular reactors are real, and we've got to go out and make the discovery that's going to apply to that 10 or 15 years down the road. The market looks correct. It looks bigger than we anticipated, and it's coming. And we're gonna we're gonna do all the right work to to help that out. Good man. Thanks, Matthew. Pleasure.